Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and they grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. But diving right in, two weeks ago, we committed as a church to take a deep dive into the heart and compassion of Jesus. And so really, if you look all through the Bible, not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament, God has a special place in his heart for our world, doesn't he? And we, we've really hung on to the verse in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 4, where, where Paul, he comes to know God in the experience of all his knowledge of the Bible and even in the experience of his own life. He comes to know God as the Father of compassion, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, he says, who comforts us in all our troubles, our troubles, excuse me, so that, so that we can comfort others. And this is really the key part of this series, growing a heart like Christ. Who cares? We care. God cares. And if Jesus has compassion for the lost in our world, then we need to have compassion for others as well. One of the ways we committed to grow our compassion for others was through the Matthew 25 challenge this past week. How many of you guys engaged with that and enjoyed it? How many? Great. Wonderful. Thank you guys for participating in that. You know, it was funny, the, the, the day, I think it was Tuesday, that we had to do only water, only water. I had a particular craving for anything that was carbonated for some reason anything that was carbonated and I was trying to justify it in my brain like it's it's water right you know just with a little bit of (laughs) whatever Uh, but anyways um, it wasn't easy denying ourselves was it it wasn't easy saying no to the luxuries and the pleasures that we have and we actually oftentimes take for granted on a daily basis this is what millions in our world literally and actually even yeah in our world and in our communities live in a daily basis. And so here's what I want to say about the Matthew 25 challenge, though. We may have had fun doing it. We may have had an enlightening experience doing it. And I know it was hard. It really was. And it was meant to be. But it's not just meant to stay there. It wasn't meant for us to just have an enlightening experience together and just for it to, all right, Sunday, Matthew 25 challenge over. Actually, That challenge was to provoke our hearts to action. Provoke our hearts to action for the least of these. And so, now oftentimes what hinders our action is fear, right? And fear is usually caused by dangerous things or maybe a risk that you're unwilling to take. Here, I'll give you an example. So about two weeks ago, uh, Giselle's family came from Panama um, with uh, her, little, her little cousin, her aunt, and whatnot, and they hadn't been here in two years, so we were so happy to see them, and we wanted to do something fun with them, okay? And so, so many people had told us about Lion Country Safari out in Loxahatchee. We had never personally been to Lion Country Safari, so we didn't know all the hype. And apparently it's this amazing safari experience. And so I was doing some work during the day. Giselle took her family and the baby and everybody to Lion Country Safari. Um, Now, let me just say this about her. (laughs) 
She's not here today. She, hope, hopefully she'll be here next week. Uh, she's not an animals girl, okay? <laughs> she loves her 10-pound Yorkie Maltese mixed. He's a little 10-pound little thing, but when she saw a free-roaming rhinoceros, <laughs> literally in front of her car, <laughs> Fear became the new definition of excitement. You know, when we think about the, the dangers of the animal kingdom, right, bringing up that fear, we've created here in our modern society of safe space for ourselves, a safe and comfortable space. But what if there's something far more dangerous than a roaming rhinoceros? And what if it's right in your home 24-7? What if it's this? What if it's your couch? What if that's the dangerous thing for your faith? What often we call, that's not a lazy boy, but what we often call a lazy boy. It's called a lazy boy for a reason. When I'm on that thing, not even a screaming beep, not even a screaming baby will wake me up. But what if the comfort that we've created for ourselves here in our modern society, what if to a certain extent that has inhibited us from, the, from taking the, the action that Jesus requires of us? See, last week we discussed growing our hearts for the poor, for the widowed, the orphan, for those in need, but compassion that just stays in your heart, well, that's not really compassion, is it? It's a sympathy, you're sympathizing with people. We're not called to just show sympathy. Sympathy. We're called to show compassion. Because genuine compassion is an action. It's not a feeling. Genuine compassion is not an action. It's a feeling. So let me show you what I mean by that. Would you turn with me to Luke chapter 10? <clears throat> Luke chapter 10. We're going to read from verses 25 to 37, a well-known story of the Good Samaritan. Luke 10, 25 to 37. It's going to be on the screen. It's on our app. Take out your Bible and follow along with me, would you? <clears throat> so Jesus says this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, referring to Jesus, how do you read it? And so he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite. When he came to the place and saw him, pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. 
And when he saw him, he took pity, took pity on him. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, which were two days' wages, by the way. And he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you, Lord, for this marvelous story that you told that your followers passed down to us in being faithful to you. And Lord Jesus, would you help us in this moment, Lord, to see beyond our, our own presuppositions of this story that we've maybe heard multiple times. Would you help us to go deeper? Holy Spirit, would you open our hearts to receive your word? And would we be changed? We ask in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. <clears throat> now, let me ask you a question. How many of us have either heard the story of the Good Samaritan or heard the phrase in common English, he's such a Good Samaritan, right? I think, I think all of us, it's extremely common. It's a common, well-known story. It's made its way into the English language. And for some Good reason, right? Someone who's going out of their way to help somebody in need. This story is only found in the book of Luke. Luke being a close associate of Paul that you can read about. The book of Acts even uses the word we. He wrote the book of Acts as well. Uses the word we multiple times at, towards the middle end of the book of Acts where he's kind of relating like he was there with Paul. Um, and he, he relates to us this parable of the Good Samaritan. And what's often called about Luke is that he wrote with a Gentile audience, a non-Jewish audience in mind. And so it's really one of the most famous parables that really unites these two people groups, these Jewish and Samaritans, but really a call for us to move beyond any social barrier, right, and be a neighbor to those in need. But because this story is so well known, it's that reason, for that very reason, that we need to take a deeper look. Because it's in what's well known, right, what's commonplace, that we often don't look past the service because we think we have known it all along. We lay our guard down. We're less thoughtful. So I think it's true that when most of us read this story, I think we all want to identify with the Samaritan. I mean, we do that. Think about how we do that in, in movies and in books. We always want to identify with the protagonist, right? The hero of the story. It's the most natural thing for us to do. But as I was preparing for today, and I was, you know, in, in conjunction doing the, uh, the Matthew 25 challenge, I couldn't help but wonder, what if my life looks less like that of the Samaritan than what I think it does? What if the picture of our lives looks more like the legal expert who knew the answers and the data but failed to act? 
And asking these questions, I think that there's some, just some helpful information, some helpful context that we need to wrap our brains around that'll help us really understand this story and what Jesus, the deeper truth that Jesus is hinting at here in this parable. So right off the bat, we're introduced to this player, an expert in the law, one word in the Greek, a, a legal expert, somebody who had spent their whole life studying the Torah, which were the first five books of the Bible. This person knew them through and through, and he, he stood up, the text says, to test Jesus. Now, it was, it was not uncommon, actually, in the context of like two teachers having a discussion for one of them to get up and challenge. It was actually a pretty common thing, as history tells us, but this expert, he had an ulterior motive, the text suggests. He wanted to catch Jesus off guard. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm reading a little too in between the lines. Maybe he wanted to embarrass Jesus publicly. This expert had all the right answers, right? He's the one that proposes to Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus, not answering his question, he says, you're the expert. You should know, right? And what does he respond? Love the Lord your God, etc., and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is like, you've got it. I mean, you're not far from the kingdom, the other evangelists enter that remark. But then he asks him perhaps a question that he was hoping Jesus might not have gotten. And he said, well, then who's my neighbor? And here's the modern translation for that question. Who does God say I need to have compassion on? Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. Who's my neighbor? Who does God say I need to Love And so really, the whole parable is centered around this one question, how we answer this question. And in true Jesus fashion, he decides to give him a story, give him a parable, a story relating a, a deeper spiritual truth, right? And he often did this. He was a great storyteller. So he, he tells him this parable about a man who's on his way down from Jerusalem to Jericho. The implication being that this man was Jewish because he's coming from Jerusalem. And this was about a 17-mile a journey, 17 miles. And it was literally geographically downward, That's as the text uh, implies. And so here is where Jesus introduces three kinds of people who answer this same question in three different ways and invites us to identify ourselves with one of these three different groups. And so, who's my neighbor? Jesus says, some people are gonna answer this saying, no one is my neighbor. Some people are gonna say, no one is my neighbor. Look at Luke 10.30 for some context. Luke 10.30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. That's the first group. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and they went away, leaving him half dead. Now, let's backtrack just a little bit. When you hear the word neighbor in the English language, we think of who are literal like the people who li like live next to us, right? And that's because in the English language, we use the same word to refer to what Jesus is talking about here, loving people, loving our neighbor, and then literally loving the person next to us, our neighbor, like all of you right here. In other languages, it's two different words. In English, it's the same. And right now, some of you are agreeing with me in this point that some people answer, no one is my neighbor, because you live next to people who think that. 
You live next to people who think that. Particularly, I do. Let me give you this illustration. So, some, for some reason, okay, for some reason, Hispanics have the bad rep of being loud. I mean, why is that, right? Anybody wonder? Here's my life philosophy. Are you ready? Can we put that on the screen? We can clap to that. Yeah. I'm not yelling. I'm Cuban. That actually happened to me. I had this cup. I had that cup. And when I worked at PBA, somebody actually, uh, like all the offices are right next to each other. And I'm talking on the phone. And somebody went to my boss and told him, can you tell Jose to talk less loud? Like, his conversation is being heard by the person I'm on the phone with two offices away. Go figure. And then I showed them that mug. It works every time. So, but you know what? Some of us, some Hispanics, they're loud and they'll admit it and they won't concede it. They love to throw loud parties with their families, particularly my neighbors. (laughs) And particularly, I love them to death, particularly on Saturday nights when I'm trying to get my beauty sleep to be coherent here on a Sunday morning. Some people are going to answer and think they don't have any neighbors. Jesus says the same thing, but in a different, a slightly different way, right? Some people think they have no neighbor. They long to show no compassion. And this group Jesus represents to us through the robbers. Now, you know, we, we often, when we think about this group, we often wonder why evil exists in the world. Why does Why does this happen? Or better yet, why does God allow it to happen? Right? If he's all powerful, he's all good, we kind of hear these these gestures, these arguments. So as a church, we believe inherent in our identity as image bearers of God, right? That we have the capacity for free will. And that if we have the capacity for free will, that necessarily means that we have the Ability to choose between right and wrong. We have the ability to choose to love or to not love. Because if you can't choose to not love, then love isn't really real, is it? It's just coercion. And so God gives us the choice. And so some in our world have chosen that they don't want to love their neighbor. Some of us have chosen, some of them. And actually, this is where we can identify the greatest sources of pain in our whole world. Think with me for a second. I don't know this man personally, but he's been on the news quite a lot. Think with me about Putin, right? Think with me about this man who has decided that what is other people's is his, and he's, he's going to take it exactly how the robbers did, leave people on the side of the road. It's just his. And though I don't know him, it seems to be a, really, a real-life example of this group, and he decides that he's going to do this. I think the hard part for us, though, is thinking, why doesn't God come down from heaven? Why doesn't he do something, right? Where is he in this picture? Now, I want to ask you a question, though. Hasn't God already come down in the flesh? Didn't he establish a kingdom? Didn't he establish a people, right, to be his hands and feet on this earth? And to expand his way, his love and compassion. We've been praying for the people of Ukraine, but what if a part of those prayers we are the answer to? I'm going to circle back to that. So hold that thought. 
Now, on the other hand, right, Jesus says, some people are going to answer, who's my neighbor? No one is my neighbor. He's going to say, some people are going to answer it this way. If it's easy, you're my neighbor. If it's easy, you're my neighbor. Look at Luke 10, 31 to 32, where Jesus, he says this. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And so to a Levite, when he came to the place and he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Two religious figures passing by. So this is, we kind of read that, but this is where Jesus actually shocks everybody. The, the Kind of the first shock, where he, he depicts two people who frankly should have helped. A priest and a Levite. Now, a priest is someone who would serve at the temple, and it says he was going down the same road, so again, there's this implication, he was coming from Jerusalem to Jericho, he had already maybe fulfilled his priestly duties going down that same road, but there's a part in the job description of these priests where they were required to stay pure, okay, to not be contaminated, and the Levites Sort of a similar group, they kind of followed these patterns as well. But you'll notice, if you just, just read the New Testament, and you'll notice that Jesus often condemned this group's legalism. That's why the priests, the Pharisees, the Levites, what they would do is they often judged Jesus when he was around. For example, two weeks ago, we saw tax collectors, right? When he's around sinners. Because they believed that would contaminate them, their cultic purity. Now, if you go, you read through the book of Leviticus or whatnot, you'll notice that one of the contaminants for this group that they, would, they were not allowed to be around was a corpse. They couldn't apparently touch a corpse or it would make them impure. And so as, just imagine these guys walking down this road, they see someone who the text says is half dead. Maybe they saw this man who was half dead and they thought, I don't want to risk my own purity, Right? I don't want to go out of my way and do this. Some people actually thought if your shadow touched a corpse, you would contaminate impurity. Talk about living on the edge, right? So now here's where things get interesting for us because every Jewish teacher understood neighbor, at least in the Jewish sense, to mean your fellow Jew, your fellow Israelite. And if what's the summation of the law, Jesus says? He says to love the Lord your God. And he says to love your neighbor as yourself. If that's the summation of the law, which the expert actually responded, yes, it is, then that actually takes precedence over their supposed purity. And the right thing to do would have been to show compassion. But despite that, it would have been too inconvenient. It would have been too hard to get out of their own way. It reminds me of when I was actually looking for seminaries. I had a, a really good friend who, who guided me somewhat through this process. I was looking for a good seminary to go to, and he was really concerned because there's, I mean, there's lots of great ones, there's lots of bad ones. And he said this, and I'll never forget, make sure you go to a seminary and not a cemetery because you'll wind up spiritually dead. And it's a funny quip, isn't it? But Lord, is it true and can be true? Let me give you this example. There were some social psychologists that did a study, actually, on a seminary. 
uh, with certain seminary students who were, tr- who were studying to be church leaders. And they were trying to answer this question, okay? Why do people stop and help strangers in some situations, some, but not others? So these, uh, the, the, these social psychologists and researchers, they gathered a group of 67 seminary students, and they literally told them, surprise, here's your, your pop quiz. You are teaching, a, you're preaching a sermon on the Good Samaritan in just a little bit. So, okay? So that's their assignment. But it's going to be in the other building across campus. And so what they did, they set up somebody who, was, who looked half dead, as the text said, the moaning on the floor and all this stuff, clearly in distress. They told a lot of these seminary students that they were running late and they had to hurry. They had to be there because they had to preach the sermon on the Good Samaritan. Everybody was waiting for them. And so one by one, they let them go to this auditorium across campus. And as they encountered, researchers watched from afar to see what they would do with the Good Samaritan story on their mind. And you want to know what actually happened? An overwhelming majority of the students actually did not stop. Even with the story of the Good Samaritan on their minds, it would have been too inconvenient for their hurry, right? They wanted to make it on time. It would have been too inconvenient for them to stop and help this man who was literally moaning on the ground. Now let me, let's just, let's stop and ask. Let's just evaluate that more to macro perspective with us in mind. Because I think to a certain degree that not, that just doesn't happen to them. It happens to us as well. Why do we develop this mindset of inconveniency, right? Why do we develop this mindset of inconveniency? I think most of us have heard about the Bible and, and compassion, right? But one of two things happen, right? Either we get comfortable, as I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, or we get compassion fatigue. And I think a lot of us are in this camp. What's compassion fatigue? Compassion fatigue is defined as apathy or indifference toward the suffering of others as a result of overexposure to tragic news stories and images and the subsequent appeals for assistance. So I think if we look at the world today, and if we're honest with ourselves a little bit, we can just say we're probably all a little compassion fatigued. I want, I want you to think about this for just one second. Centuries ago, centuries ago, you did not know the sufferings of the entire world. Think about it. You only knew about the sufferings in your town, the sufferings that you could personally and literally directly get involved and help. But now, with the advancements of technology, we literally know everything that's going on in our world. And our hearts are, in a sense, emotionally kind of burdened by all that suffering. And it's, it's hard to, to take in. It can be overbearing for us. And actually, what ends up happening is people start to tune out. That's what, unfortunately, that indifference, that inconveniency kind of creeps its way in, even if you don't recognize it. But there's a call to action that we can't miss here that Jesus wants us to have, and it's to fight against compassion fatigue. We have to fight against it. We can't let 
just hearing the news and more suffering, more suffering kind of get to our hearts. We have to fight against settling in compassion fatigue or else, or else we are no better than the the Levite and the priest who just walked past a man who was literally dying and did nothing to help. And so really Jesus shows us that the only way to answer the question of who's my neighbor is this way. Everyone is my neighbor. Everyone. Anyone I can help is my neighbor. Look at Luke 10, 33 and 34, where Jesus says this. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity. And he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to the inn, and he took care of him. Amazing. And again, this is where, again, for his, his firsthand audience, I should say, this was practically a punch in the gut. Okay? That's literally what it was. And let me show you why. Because nobody would have ever, ever, ever made the hero of this story a Samaritan. Here's why. Because, I mean, centuries ago from when this was written, right, in about 722 B.C., there were two kingdoms, Israel and Judah, God's people. And the kingdom of Assyria in 722 B.C., they came and they just wiped out Israel, the northern kingdom. Just wiped them out, led them into exile. And what happened in that moment was that there was a merging of religions and way of life. And because of that, this people group sprung from that takeover, from that exile. Their names were the Samaritans. And because of all that intermingling of the Assyrian way and God's way, it was no longer pure to the Jews. They said, you know what? You guys are idolaters and enemies of God. And there was literally uh, a hatred between these two people groups. Quite literally a hatred between them. And so it's with this cultural backdrop, right, that Jesus depicts a Samaritan, somebody who should have hated that man just by virtue of who he was. And maybe that man wouldn't have even wanted the Samaritan's help. He depicts the Samaritan as the hero of the story. And here's the point that Jesus is trying to make. There's no identity or marker that you can place on someone and they still not be your neighbor. Loving your neighbor transcends time, place, familiarity, gender, even enmity, whom Jesus actually actually identifies for, for us himself. Look what Paul writes about Jesus giving his life for us in Romans 5, 10, where he says, for if while we were God's enemies, even while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? So while we were God's enemies, he still loved us and he had compassion for us and he wants us to do the same. And so in spite of any identifier, everyone is our neighbor. And Jesus teaches us that genuine compassion towards our neighbor is marked by genuine action. And that's why Jesus literally says in Luke 10, 37, he says, go and do likewise. Go and do literally there in Luke 10, 37. 
The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. That was the neighbor to the man. Jesus said, go and do. Go and do likewise. So at Community of Hope, especially in in a series like this, we want to create a very tangible, a very practical application for actually all of us to do together. Not just one of us, not just some of us, all of us to do together. At church, we're doing a lot of this already, right? We're, we have our Love the 561 initiative. We're doing that. But we wanted, to, we wanted to do something specifically for this sermon series. And as I mentioned earlier, when I was talking about, when I referenced the Ukrainian crisis um, in Eastern Europe, we're God's vehicle, church, for grace, love, and compassion to this world. I mean, that's one of the functions of the church. I mean, our function is not just to come on Sundays. It's actually to go and be the church on Monday. That's the function of the church. And so that's exactly what we want to do. We don't want to just preach on compassion. We actually want to go and do so. If you completed the Matthew 25 challenge, you'll also know that in the final video it said you'll find out the final challenge that we are unveiling here at Church Today, which I'm about to do. So at church, we've decided that we are going to support our Ukrainian brothers and sisters, our Ukrainian neighbors who are fleeing Ukraine as we speak, quite literally as we speak. They not only need physical resources, but also assistance to start new lives in new communities and new countries. And I know actually many of you have actually asked if we're going to start an initiative like this and we were saving it for this moment. And so we've been really as a church researching what would be the best way for us to do this. And so here's what I'm going to ask of all of us to do this week. Would you take this week to consider giving towards the refugee crisis right now with for our Ukrainian neighbors in Eastern Europe? Would you consider? Because our church, we really feel called and led to be a neighbor to the people of Ukraine in this very moment. I mean, we've we even got up here and we prayed, but like I said, God's going to do his part. What if we as a church, what if God is calling us to be a, a part of the solution? To be a part of the solution to the problem in the way that we can. And so next week, we will be collecting a one-time offering, okay? One-time offering, or, or if you want to, anytime during this week, you can go online to communityofhope.church forward slash give. And there is going to be a drop down for the, the, the Ukrainian humanitarian crisis offering fund. I think it's what it's called. Um, you'll see it there in the drop down and you can give a donation of any amount. That's literally going directly to that, to the Ukrainian refugee crisis. So I would ask that you would, everybody would consider so you can bring your offering next week or you can go to the app or you can go to our website and make that donation for those people. Um, but in saying this, in saying this, I also want to just extend a little bit of grace, if I may. If you find yourself monetarily tight in this season, and you feel like you would have to take out from your regular giving, your tithes, as the Bible says, in order to give to this, how we would just ask you um, to just be cognizant of, of your, own, uh, your own family and your own budget and where you are in this season. The Lord knows your heart. You're not condemned if you don't give. The Lord knows your heart. And we actually want to give permission if, if you're struggling monetarily in this season, especially with everything that's gone on in our world, we want to give you permission not to give. This is above and beyond that. If you feel led to give, 
We would love that. If you feel like this is not a moment for you to give, we want to give you permission and just say, it's okay, we love you. Would you continue to pray for our Ukrainian neighbors? And so Jesus, in closing, he's not asking us to solve every single problem in this whole world. He's not. But he is asking us to help the person next to us, the person that we can. And even if it's just a small contribution, a lot of small contributions, a lot of small little pieces, they add up. And they equal the life change, the world change that we hope to accomplish here as the church of Jesus. And we all have a role role to play. So would you think, consider, and would you go this week and have compassion in the people that the Lord puts in your heart? Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for this, just this challenging word that you brought to us through the story of this good Samaritan. Lord, we, we recognize how challenging it could be to actually step outside of ourselves, to step outside of our current schedule, of our itineraries, of our, the busyness of our lives. Lord, and look and have compassion and go to action for those in need. Lord, would you, would you open the eyes of our heart, Lord, this week to see people that we can help, that we can step out of our own comfort zone and take action and show them who you are. Lord, we, we thank you again for what you're doing in our church. We just lift up the people of Ukraine and those who are fleeing. Would you stir our hearts in support for them? Lord, and would you accomplish the goal that you've laid in our heart. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Would you take this time now to stand and let's worship together in response to our loving God and Savior. Compassion is one of his names. The God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. Church, would you remain in a posture of, of prayer as I just speak this blessing into the life of our church that comes from Matthew 9, from 36 to 38, where Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, and he says to us, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Would you go out, church? Would you go out as one of his workers this week? and show compassion. Go with God. Be blessed. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next week.